You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the book of Psalms, now looking at Psalms 139, 40, and 117. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. In our first three lessons, we examine Psalm 1, the Wisdom Psalm, Psalms 19 and 119, on the Word of God. And last time, as we looked at God Himself, we looked at Psalm 130 and others, including Habakkuk 3. In this fourth lesson, we're going to consider a key factor in drawing close to God, focusing not focusing in the sense of concentrating, though that's important too. It's a different kind. You know, some slander the Old Testament. Some people say, well, it's so dry and dusty and legalistic. All God wanted was robotic conformity. Of course, there are quite a few people who think that's what Christianity is, just a list of rules. They misunderstand, misunderstood the faith, and they certainly have not bothered to really read the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is not obsessed with outward behavior. Like the New Testament, it's concerned with what we do, but it's also concerned with who we are, with our entire being. And the Psalms shed considerable light on the heart and how we need to be doubly focused. Let me explain what I mean by doubly focused. There's an inward focus and an outward focus. We looked at the passage on keeping our heart and ourself aligned with God's will through meditating, through thinking about His Word. When we looked at Psalm 1, we looked at Psalm 19, we saw the concern, not just with actions and words, but even the meditation of my heart. I'd like us to look at Psalm 139. It's a, a fairly familiar passage. In poetic form, it talks about God's care for us and how he knows our future, even when we're in the womb. It's a beautiful psalm. I don't believe I've ever heard a preacher read the end of it because the psalm shows great sensitivity to God's word and God's spirit. But look at the, the end. We read this. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are, you who are bloodthirsty, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, that's not the very end, but that's right before the end. It seems like this beautiful psalm has been spoiled. Spoiled by what? By honesty? You find many passages like this in the psalms. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, it's been told you, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, I think he may be 
thinking of such passages as, as this. In other words, you could make a case from the Old Testament that, well, the people were encouraged to hate their enemy. Of course, the problem is there are other passages in the Old Testament where they're encouraged to love their enemy. So what am I saying? The Psalms are just honest. And I'm not sure how much it really spoils Psalm 139 that the psalmist breaks out in these uh, really negative words. But that's not what I want us to look at. I want us to look at what is written right after that. Because without skipping a beat, he prays, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So, he's rained down curses on his enemies. He's got a clear conscience, apparently. And he asks God to test his heart and see if there's any offensive way. I smile slightly when I read this because I think, well, wasn't that an offensive thing? Just the thing, the sentence before? We may not be aware. We certainly don't know our own hearts. And from the eyes of faith and the understanding of the Christ, we read Psalm 139. We realize that some of it we can't really pray. I mean, we can pray, we can be honest with God about how we feel but something that it expresses is just not right. Ah, but there are plenty more things in the Psalms that, I think, live up to a higher ideal. Psalm 141. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. So in Psalm 141, there's a recognition that there is an enemy, so to speak. There are the wicked people who do wicked things. And here, the prayer is that a guard would be set over our mouths so that what we say, where we go, what we think, what we do, won't be influenced by worldly currents. Or how about Psalm 145, where we read, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Beautiful. What does it mean to call on him in truth? Generally in the Bible, it means to call on him sincerely. I did a podcast on the Samaritan woman, John 4, and I go into this at some greater length there. But it's certainly not true that worshiping God in spirit and truth means we have to worship him with great energy and with doctrinal fidelity. Spirit actually has very little to do with our attitude, at least in that passage, and truth has nothing to do with doctrine. The Samaritan woman didn't know much doctrine. In fact, what she knew was mainly wrong, it seems. Truth is truthfulness. It's more like our honesty. We're having a godly character. And so in Psalm 145, we need to call on him in truth. And when we do, the Lord will be near to us. So you can't pull a fast one on God. You can't just say the words. Honor him with lips while hearts are far from him. 
That's from Isaiah, of course, uh, chapter 29. So we need to have the proper inward focus. We need to cultivate the inner life and watch our heart and be careful what we say. I recently got a very distressed message from a very young Christian who had come to the conclusion, this was uh, several months after he was baptized, that he may have been a bit self-righteous when he named Jesus as Lord, when he was immersed in water. But now that he knows that he was self-righteous, he's reconsidering everything. Well, my reply to him, if you're saying that now you're not self-righteous, now you have the proper appreciation of the cross, isn't that arrogant? Because in five years, you're going to look back on your confession and you're going to say, what was I thinking? And the ultimate result is constant doubting of one's conversion. We're never broken enough. We're never uh, as cognizant of what Christ did for us on Calvary as we could be or should be. We don't get there. Our Christian life is a path of, of going deeper and deeper. And so I try to encourage the young Christians, be tough, develop spiritual discipline, but don't be so hard on yourself that you equate deeper understanding with initial understanding. Well, if I understand it more deeply, then I guess I never really became a Christian. No, we just need to get pointed in the right direction and then have faith. So there's a lot on inward focus. What about outward focus? And that's why I, I'm justifying my phrase being doubly focused. Being outward focused. There's quite a bit in the Psalms about caring for others. There's Psalms that talk about the poor. Uh, quite a few. There's Psalms and, and some beautiful ones too. I love the passage about those in the ash heap being lifted up and, and seated with princes. And God's care for the widows. And Oh my, there's so many. I, I was considering doing a whole lesson on the poor in the Psalms, but only have ten chances here. Maybe we'll do that later on. There's emphasis on, on giving God our hearts and, and reaching out in that way. But I want to look at something else that may be a bit surprising. We don't normally think of the Old Testament as being rich in evangelistic emphasis. I know. Exodus 19, the nation of Israel were called to be priests. Not just the Levites, they all were. I mean, in a sense, Israel was sent, meant to be a light to the nations, as the prophet Isaiah puts it. And sometimes she was, and many were attracted to God. But often she wasn't. Yet the vision remained, as in the end of Zechariah chapter 8, that the Gentiles would see the light and, and be drawn uh, to the true God. When we appreciate what God has done for us, we want to tell other people. We can be too inward focused, and then that becomes a sin instead of a virtue. It's a vice. We don't want to be so inward focused that that becomes an excuse for not connecting with others, for sequestering ourselves away from the fellowship and from the outer world. So we, we're afraid to go for a walk in our neighborhood or our apartment uh, corridor because if we do, we might meet someone and then we'd feel guilty because we haven't shared with them. No, no, we don't. We don't want to be too 
into ourselves, although we're encouraged to live quiet lives and cultivate the fear of God, we need to be focused in the other direction too. Now that too can be overdone. If you're just always laughing and joking and with people and you never really pay your bills or clean your house or you know, return phone calls, your thought would focus that uh, you're not taking the time to, to do inventory. Okay, I've got two passages I wanted to share, and uh, they're, they're both beautiful. In Psalm 40, we read, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Do you see the connection between salvation, being lifted out of the slimy pit, that reminds me a bit of Psalm 69, uh, and, and having the firm place to stand because God is our rock and He gives us that place where we can get a foothold. And, and we had that new song and our, we're cheerful where we have there's something going on. A hymn of praise. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. So the psalmist realizes that as God has touched him, others too will be affected. Is he referring to those outside the nation of Israel or to those inside the covenant people? The answer might be yes. <laughs> this outward focus, the desire to bless others, we just want to do good so they can know God. That flows naturally from our own experience of salvation. God is saving me not just from hell. He's saving me from the world. In Acts 2, Peter warns them, save yourselves from... It's not the fire of hell. There's, there's, there's no emphasis on that in the book of Acts. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation, from the world. It's not just being rescued from external harm, but I need to be rescued from myself. When I was in seminary, I walked into the chapel one day and I stumbled across an ancient prayer. And I remember the words, you know, Lord, save me from myself, arch enemy to myself. I am my own worst enemy. God rescues me from the emptiness and vice of the world. For me, this wasn't just a one-time event in the past when I was an 18-year-old college student. It is an ongoing experience. God rescues me every day. And quite often, He's rescuing me from myself. And then the other passage on outward focus is in Psalm 51, which is such a, a great psalm. Soon we're going to do a whole lesson just on that. But I will only read the excerpt. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. That's the famous sin psalm the psalm of confession. He longs to be purified. And he knows when he fully experiences God's healing touch, God's cleansing, God's Holy Spirit, 
that he will be sustained. In other words, he won't run out of steam. And I love this line. Then I teach, I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. I remember, I became a Christian in, I guess it was the day after, I just come back from a retreat in the woods of North Carolina. It was when I was 18. And I remember going to the next retreat. Very exciting. Brought some friends of mine. Again, it was one of those times where you break away, you get away. And it was structured around Psalm 51. All the lessons. And that was easy because there are so many great talks in Psalm 51. But I remember one of these. That I will teach transgressors your ways. And I thought, yes, that's what I'm doing. That's what I want to do the rest of my life. I want to know God and I want to help other people to come to God. And so that evangelistic passion flows from a sense of cleansing. When God's in our heart, when He's deep in our heart, then then we want to share with others. And that's an outward focus. Well, some questions. How about you? Do you tend to be excessively inward focused? You know, just broody or moody? Or maybe you're not moody, but you live such a private life that you're not really connecting with other people? Let's have more of a biblical balance. Or maybe you're on the other side more excessively outward focused. I halt in saying that because it sounds funny. Usually we're encouraged to be outward focused, but I think it's possible to be too distracted with outsiders. We need to take time for our own spiritual life and take care of our own family. Um, So there's a balance, but we need to be outward focused. Am I excessively inward outward focused? Am I even aware that the Bible makes these distinctions, how important uh, these themes are? That, that run through the Bible and certainly run through the Psalms. And with a sense of God's touch and God's presence and cleansing, don't I want other people to experience that too? You, you may say, well, I, I don't know if I'm at my best spiritually right now. Okay. Certainly you don't want other people to replicate your double-mindedness, your doubt, your struggles, your uh, moodiness, and we all understand this but we can still point them to Christ. We're not saying, follow me because I am Christ. We're only saying, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, to the extent that I follow him, please follow me. But when I start getting in the way, just ignore me. He's the one we need to be really focusing on. And I thought about a couple of prayer points that would come from this podcast. And I did not think I could possibly improve on the verses that I read before from Psalm 51 and Psalm 40. And so we'll close with these words. And because we don't always have the right focus, in the next few podcasts, we're going to explore what the Psalms say about darkness and about drifting. Sometimes we're drifting and about sin. The lesson I'm promising you on Psalm 51. But those are the next three lessons. Let's close lesson four with these prayerful words. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you.
For you lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. God, you set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. You put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to you. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on the book of Psalms. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.